Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Podcast. I am Jordan, along here with Brother Brandon. Hello. And best friend Ryan. Hello, everybody. How are you guys doing today? It's uh, cold. It's cold. It's really cold. Nine degrees. We're in Ohio. So all you Australian people that are in, uh, what, 70, 80 degrees? I don't know what they're at right it's now. It's summer right now. I Is think, it their summer? I think, yeah, I think northern and southern hemispheres are flipped on the seasons. It's like their toilets spin backwards. <laughs> seasons are backwards. Son of a bitch. Yeah. So, so their Fourth of July is doesn't t- exist because they they don't celebrate. I, I understand that. I understand that. So it's if you hear if you hear some kind of like weird humming in the background, that's just our heaters going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Because you know, since I am married and I do have a one and a half year old, we do not record inside the house. We record in my garage, but we have heaters. But anyway. So, uh, you have downloaded this episode, then you know that we tonight we're going to talk about directors, our top two favorite directors in the movies. But uh, before we continue that, um, we are going to talk about the net neutrality. Today is Thursday. No, sorry, net neutrality. Yeah, neutrality. Neutrality. Um, I've been. I bought this bottle today. So. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> At five. Well, I'm not really surprised, in all no. honesty. So, uh, but anyway, so, um, but I have a little statement prepared that I've worked on today for all you, for all you listeners, and for best friend Ryan and brother Brand. They don't know what I'm going to say, um, and of course, they will comment on what I have to say about it. But I figured, since we do have a podcast, and this medium could not be around in the next couple of years, maybe depending on how this all works out, then this is my opportunity to get my my opinion and my voice. Heard. If you are not interested in listening to us bitch, then please skip ahead to the 10 to 11 minute mark in the episode. And that will give you a good, and you can just listen to our typical average show. So, but anyway, so this little statement that I uh, that I wrote, I wrote this twice. I proofread it myself, so it's probably still bad, but this is this kind of what I wanted to say. Alright, so this is about what happened today, and then we'll get into our director episode. Uh, so today I wanted to take this time to say something that I have prepared for tonight's show. I have said on the show uh, podcast with best friend Ryan and brother Brandon about net neutrality a few weeks ago. I didn't have much to say about the matter because, to be truthful with you, I really didn't think that this would happen. I thought there's no way. I mean, yeah, I mean, Trump is the president, which is awful and terrible, but for companies to say what I can or cannot do on the Internet, that's crazy. Why are we going to talk about this? That's not going to happen. Well, today it happened. Pi won, and now companies have say in what we can or cannot do. So let's kind of take a look on both sides of the coins. That's kind of what I want to do. Um, first of all, I get it. I really do. Businesses and companies need money to exist. With more people that are around on this planet every day, the more people use the Internet, the more expensive it becomes for the providers. I get that. You as a company need money to pay for wires, cables, bandwidth, storage, services, because we know where all those bandwidth and all that servers, they need a fucking area to store all that information. And not being a small company, but a large company like Verizon, you need a lot of money for those things to completely be operational. So you want to control what consumer does. Just like cable, you pay Verizon $20 a month on top of your current internet bill, and you can access sites like Facebook or your email or news sites. But if you want to get YouTube, you have to pay $60 a month. But again, I get it. You need more money for your business. However, though, when doing research for this, I understand that 
this happened back in the 70s. I don't know if you guys were aware of this or not. But with cable TV, the American public was outraged. Having to pay for TV, why would you do that? Pay more so you get more channels? That was crazy back in the 70s, right? Fast forward to 2017, and yes, TV has changed, but people still pay extra for HBO and Showtime and Stars and Encore. For me, as an example, uh, I have basic cable, but if I want to actually have HBO, I have to pay 15 bucks a month. So what's the big difference? But to go on to that, here are some examples on why I'm against what's happened today. Companies are going to completely control what we have access to. These are two um, legitimate resources that I found from Wall Street Journal today. In 2007, Verizon Wireless blocked text messages from a pro-abortion group. Verizon said that they have the right to block any groups that they seem to be of high controversy. So in 2007, if they can block abortion groups because it's high controversy, then what makes them not block anything else that we want to watch. Also in 2014, Comcast slowed down Netflix's streaming uh, capabilities to their customers until Netflix pays more money. Reason why is because Comcast said that was because the company's bandwidth was costing more than what Netflix was actually paying for. So they kind of held Netflix ransom. The last example of why this is bad in my closing statement is that Let's say FedEx ships the most out of any mail services of Amazon packages. Meaning that Amazon fills FedEx trucks more with their products than any other mail service. So FedEx would then say, hey Amazon, since you have the most product, then you need to pay for all the repairs and the old changes that the trucks need. Well that's not fair to Amazon. So now that I see why net neutrality was great, I see that 2017 has been a disappointing year with Trump and so much more, we don't want companies telling us what we can or cannot do. We have that every day with our jobs and our families and our friends. We just want to sit down and be entertained and forget about the day-to-day -day life. That is my statement about net neutrality today. you guys have any comments on that? Uh, it goes much, uh, goes much further than entertainment. Um, it's, it really makes it, if this fully goes through, because that's another thing, it's not set in stone quite yet. It's, uh, it's got to go through some more legal actions. Uh, California, I, the state of California is already suing the government for this. So it's not quite in stone yet, but if it fully does, uh, the thing that scares me the most is it keeps us little voices from ever being able to create our own content. And essentially be a competitor to something big. Uh, that's essentially how Facebook was created. Think about what Facebook did to the giant of MySpace. You see what I'm saying? Like, Facebook was created in a dorm room. Um, anybody who's trying to start uh, a small business, so let's say, uh, oh, okay, for instance, I'm in the process of writing a novel, and one of my goals was to, when it's done, to set up my own website to, so people can go to it and possibly download a digital copy and just get all the information on it. Since I don't have the money to fork over to Spectrum or Comcast or Verizon, they can either, one, uh, depending on the content itself, block the site completely, or two, make it so goddamn slow that no one's going to be able to access it. So it's, I don't know, it, it hurts 
creativity, it hurts freedom of speech because, you know, I think what's so important about where the internet is right now is our source of information. Uh, it could get scary. It could get to a point where, who knows, what if Spectrum's like, you know what, we're strictly a liberal, um, we're strictly a, a liberal company and we're going to just eliminate and keep access, everything conservative, we just don't want under our title. So we're going to eliminate all access for you to get to something conservative news in news information or vice versa. It could get to that point. It could get to a political and religious point where if we don't like a certain thing because it's not our motto, we're just either one, going to eliminate it, or two, make it so expensive or hard for you to reach that you're just not going to be able to regardless. Valid. Best friend Ryan, do you have anything to say on that? That's pretty much what I was going to say. Yeah, because one of the things that I said that, that well, no, wow, so well, let me backtrack. One of the things that I read was is that they actually can monitor your emails when all this goes through. So if like, so if Ed, who we all know Ed, sends me a picture of a, of a woman sucking a donkey's dick, and I click on it, be like, what's this video? Well, I'm just, it's crazy, but it, but it's true though. If Ed would email me a picture of this, what I was reading today, is that we will be flagged. <laughs> and you know that, okay, so now we gotta watch what this person does because they're watching stuff that's morally wrong. And that's illegal. It's not though with this now. Well, because they're gonna monitor. Is bestiality a crime? No. I could have swore bestiality was a crime. Not a crime. For according uh, to according to Moore in Alabama. Let's uh, let, let's reel it back to a little bit more stable example. Well, that, well, that was just something that he told me today because he called me by. He's like, "What if I send you a picture of this?" Well, you know, and that the basis of that example is 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 important though. I, I think the example itself is extreme, but like for instance, uh, for in, uh, us an independent photographer and a lot of his photography stills and his whole website maybe have nudity on it that's just part of his his business model it's not doing it in a sexual manner it's just it's photography it's the human body yeah it could get to a point where eh, because it's nudity we're just gonna block you yeah and then now what does that photographer do you know especially since and you've got some people who are like well you know before internet people had to go out and do it the hard way that was then we are now a whole generation that has the digital language. We grew up with this, where so many models have been based off the internet. And it's like, if you're going to eliminate it, you're essentially... That's a good point. You're, you're eliminating it's not, a language. It's not the generation that understands it intuitively that is making the, the decisions right. on the topic. That's an interesting point. I didn't even think about that way. So you have... And think what I mean by language, think about all the kids who do their school projects today that are using the internet to schools are using internet on a daily basis to help bring out the model of teaching that much stronger and better these are kids like Riley she's growing she's she's not good she's growing up in a world where you don't have to use the encyclopedia anymore you don't have to go to the library anymore and now that's gonna essentially she's gonna be probably growing up in a world where you know that's gonna be a struggle for her well to end this segment I want to play devil's advocate on one thing and I, and, and I think my statement made it clear. I am for net neutrality. But, and hear any my simple, point. Any right-minded person should be for yeah. net neutrality. But, just hear me out on this. How is this going to be any different or in the same ballpark than cable? And the reason why I say this is because I did a lot of research today because when that happened, because I was like, no, this ain't going to happen. And it happened. I was like, I got to do something for the show tonight, right? So you pay for basic cable. You pay 40 bucks a month for basic cable. 
But if you want HBO or Showtime, you got to pay an extra fifteen bucks to get that. Well, I feel like how is that any different? I feel like it's it, it sounds on paper like it's the same thing, but it's not really because the internet is much more than just TV shows and, and news programs and things like that. Like TV, if you get HBO. That's great. You can watch Game of Thrones. You can watch The Deuce. I don't know what other shows are on there. Girls, I still think's on the air. <laughs> but with the internet, like like Brandon said, you can upload stuff you make. You can watch funny videos. You can chat with your friends that live out in California when you're stum- stuck in bumfuck Ohio. Like so, there's there's more to it than just okay the visual entertainment. So having people get the uh, downloaded. Um, Movies illegally, that's not that's not gonna happen anymore. Yeah. The thing I'm concerned about right. is like people like Brandon, they do they go to school online. Right? And we have a person who's in charge of the education department who doesn't really like that for some reason. She wants to she like she wants everything to be a charter school now. I'm not gonna say she, I'm not I don't know her policy on percent. Because she donates everything to charter schools. But mm-hmm. she wants essentially she wants charter schools to be more than public schools or online schools. She wants people to go to these these schools. And even she even she's pressing for like bigger or like less tax breaks and bigger um, penalties and um, uh, what am I what what what's the word I'm thinking of? Percentage on on the top of your payment interest. Bigger interest charges for student loans and all this stuff, yeah. and and if if the companies can if we have these IPs that can be like, hey, you know, the school has to pay us some, or else you don't get access to their websites and stuff, and they choose not to, kind of fucked. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, especially I, if you pay, you know, ten thousand dollars a year for this thing, and you can't even, it's almost impossible for you to do it unless you have the right IP. Right. Uh, and internet provider. That's that's what I think. What worries me the most is education. Um, I only I have a full year left to go. So what if you know by summer? It, it, this is all hyperbole. Uh, but what if you know like, what if I'm told one day it's like, look, we don't really have the means uh, to let you go on school unless because you're the provider is forcing these schools to be like, what if they get to the point where they're forced to school? It's like, well, if you want the bandwidth, if you want to have, you know, students still access this, you got to pay us a certain amount. Mm-hmm. One, a school may not have the funds to do that. Or two, the school may, but is financial aid going to take care of it? That becomes a whole other issue. Is the government going to pay for your internet service to go to school? If not, that's coming out of your goddamn pocket. And they're going to get us into a trap. Like me, I'm going to be forced into it. Because, of course, why would I waste three years and almost thirty thousand dollars in debt you know what i mean and and have nothing on the end to, to valid you know what i'm saying so it's yeah. this is a slippery slope well folks uh we've lied to you we said the 10 minute mark or at the 15 minute mark i have tons of questions about net neutrality i have a lot of debate about it uh i'm sure all of us do here but we'll continue that at a later time either privately or at another show in the future but we got to go on to our actual podcast show while you downloaded this episode. So tonight we are talking about movie directors. We're going to talk about our top two favorite directors or just... Well, I, I envisioned it. Well, it was it's one. The two was just in case we didn't have enough to fill in the time for the whole episode. I picked two. But so. after, well, I mean, we picked, yeah. I picked two. We, yeah. all, we both picked, all three of us picked two. But I, was, I, was, I suggested that in the chat because it, just in case we ran out of time... But then I start thinking about it. If there's six movies, kind of that we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. but we're not really, we're probably not really going to 
Like, we'll talk about them, but we're also probably going to branch off into the other movies the director made. So, mm-hmm. we really only need one. Because, yeah. like, because I was thinking about my thing for Zack and Mary. That kind of leads into a, another topic all yeah. on its own. So, yeah. Well, then that changes my idea altogether because I had two. So, oh, I'm not well, going to go with intros. I mean, I could talk about my backup, too. I mean, yeah. that, I mean it's not hard. So, yeah. So, we'll go with it. But I was imagining it's, like, one of your favorite, like, directors from your youth. Yes. Not necessarily childhood, but like before yes. you, once before you, you know, came of age and all that shit. Ones that started becoming more like really influence you, and in, in terms of how you see movies or just art in general. Okay, well then I got some good ideas for this one. So, uh, for me, this one may not come to a shock to any of you or <laughs> to the fans, but uh, mine would be my director would be James Cameron. Really. Right. You didn't tell us that. You told us uh, Fincher. Yeah, I did, but since you said what you said is huh. a second ago, that because Cameron was my second choice. Huh, well, I watched uh, Alien 3 in preparation for this podcast. Oh, well, we can talk about that. But, <laughs> but he, no. he did, Cameron did direct Alien, so it's kind of a... It's yeah. Kind of uh-huh. shit. This is actually kind of funny that he brought up. and this, See, that's why I like podcasts, folks, is because this isn't an unedited show like other shows that we do. But it's just it's funny because I had Fincher as my number one, but with you just making that statement of youth and all this kind of stuff. Well, I just assume because pod passed. Yeah. So then, because because my number one was Fincher, my number two was Cameron. Okay. But I can tell you that I can watch Cameron films all day, every day. Or, if I'm hip, all day, er day. Is it er? I thought it was air. Is air. it air? I have no idea. I'm Is not, it air? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not woke, so I don't know. But, uh, before we get into Cameron, I guess, because you did take the time to watch it, you watched Alien Three for David Fincher. Yeah, I watched the assembly cut, the two hour and twenty four minutes. The best it's version. It's a, it's yeah, like it felt a lot. Different. I don't. I've only seen the theatrical version once, and I wasn't really paying attention because you kind of forced us to watch it back at the old <laughs> office. Um, but this one, yeah, it seems a lot different than what I remembered. A lot more character development. Yeah, but the thing is, I still didn't. I still didn't like it. Like the first. You half, didn't like it. The first half hour is pretty good, um, but. I don't know. In the middle, it drags really bad for me. Like where they capture the alien, and and then they have to have the plot point where the guy's crazy, so he lets the alien out for some fucking reason because it's a fucking dragon. And I just, whenever that happens, I just, come on. The movie's already two hours and twenty four minutes. You don't need to add another twenty <laughs> minutes just because of that. Well, well I mean, I, unfortunately, regardless of what cut you see, you, you, the studio meddling and not having a full script like they were writing as they were filming. Like uh, it, that all is very evident. I, I like Alien Three, but I it is my least favorite of the four. I did think it was strange that um, Ripley fucks that doctor dude. Yes, that I that's was, not strange. That's that's perfect for her character. Is it perfect? It, Absolutely perfect. Because I mean, it, it felt like to me she goes from because like in Aliens she's presented as this badass. You know, I'm finally out of my shell. I'm going to take charge type of person, and then in that she's kind of. I mean, it could come across as like she's manipulative, but she, but she's. I never would have assumed based on the first two movies that she's the kind of person that would use her body to get what she wants. I don't think she used her body, so that's a very interesting point. I'll I'll make this very short. Um, an alien. Since I watched these these three movies, I don't count Resurrection into this, but for the trilogy, I watch them religiously, and. Um, we're going to save that statement about resurrection for another show. We're not going to go on. This is not an alien show. Right. We can do a, that can be the You Hate It, uh, you hate yeah. it We Love It episode. But oh, uh, yeah. anyway, for the Alien trilogy, Ripley was never like that. She was always a naysayer in Aliens. She didn't want to be there in Aliens. Uh, she did not get tough until 
Newt got captured by a xenomorph, that's and she I'm had saying. to go get her. At the end of Aliens, that's what I was, yeah. But I think what Fincher was doing for Alien 3 and why she had sex with the doctor, uh, Clemens, is because this woman really hasn't had sex in almost 60 years, and there's a guy that's paying attention to her. She didn't have sex with Hicks. I mean, we know that for a fact. And the last time we had sex, and the last time she had sex was her and Lambert were talking in a deleted scene of Alien, of which one of them actually fucked Ash, who was a robot, which they didn't know. So let's just say to assume that she didn't do it, which means that Ripley hasn't had sex in 60 years. She just, you know what? It's, it's, it's inappropriate, but Ripley just wanted the D, man. She just wanted the D, and she deserves the D. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's how I took that scene, you know, as an adult. You know, like, that's how I took it. But my last question for you, Ryan, since you just saw the assembly cut, is did you like um, the fact they came out of a bull in the assembly cut, yeah. or do you like the fact they came out of a dog in the in, in the theatrical cut? I think it's. I mean, I think it's better that it comes out of a, an ox sort of thing. Oh, that's right, an ox yeah. instead of a bull. Yeah, I mean, not a dog though, because 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 really for 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 the way the alien moves and acts and everything, it seems more canine like than what it would come out of an ox. It right? Just, it just seems more. Um, like a wild animal. Primal? Is that the word I'm looking for? Primal? Feral. It mm. seems more feral well, not than only, anything. Not only that, the, the xenomorph coming out of an ox doesn't mean it's going to have the weight and dexterity of an ox either. No, I know, but it's just, you know, clearly the way the xenomorph looks and everything in Alien 3, clearly, you know, all fours, canine, <laughs> cat maybe even kind well, of the thing. They have four legs. Yeah, but it's not a canine or it's not a it's not yeah, a feline, so. They still have four legs. That was your point though. That's fine. Wasn't James point. Cameron. Yes, my point's on James Cameron. So uh, Aliens would be it. Aliens would be uh, a movie that I couldn't escape as a ten year old. It's a movie I couldn't escape as a twelve year old or is a movie I can't escape as a thirty one year old. What about James Cameron's specifically? Do you enjoy? He has not made a single bad movie. Yes, he that's, has. I mean, that's all opinion too. Opinion. But like, what? <laughs> not not the fact that you enjoy all of his movies, but like, what about them do you enjoy? Is it the the masculinity that he brings to all the characters? No, no. Is it the fun madcapness of true lies? That's what I'm looking for. What I like about James Cameron is that he doesn't make a lot of movies. I mean, like Prawn to the Spawny, if you want to count that, but he was still on Roger Corman days. But I mean, he really got into his own with Terminator. I mean, if I I know that his directorial debut was Piranha 2 the Spawning, but big like like but big movie was his first movie was The Terminator. Oh my god. I mean like you can't get any perfect in that, right? I mean The Terminator is is not only like one of the greatest sci-fi films of of all time, but it's one of the greatest maybe 100 films greatest of all time. I mean like that was amazing. And because of Terminator they did Aliens. I mean, I've always loved that story where the studio for 20th Century Fox was like, we're going to do an Alien 2, but we heard that you're good, James Cameron, so write us a draft. And he, and he gave them like, only like 50 pages of a draft. And they were like, wow, this is good. Let's see how Terminator does. And if it's successful, and if it's criticized well, then we'll let you do right and direct Aliens. So because of that, he gave us arguably the greatest Alien film of all time. I mean, Wow. And then he goes off and he does Abyss, which it's pre-Terminator time, and he's really trying to get into an effects. He wasn't really in an effects in the Alien time, but he was getting there. Okay, so a personal, so what, from what I'm hearing from you then is like a personal trait of him that you like is his innovation. 
Oh, it's beautiful because look what he did for Terminator 2. That movie came out in 1991, fellas, and it's 2017, and it still looks fucking good. Mm hmm. I'll agree with that statement. Oh my god. Terminator 2 was amazing. And yeah. True Lies is what it is, but it's still fucking fun. And I've always made this argument to you. I don't know if I made this argument to you, best friend Ryan, but to best friend, uh, to, to brother Brandon, I have. Titanic could, in my opinion, be the greatest overall um, film of all time because it has everything you need. It has your horror moments. It has your dramatic moments. It has your romantic moments. You know, it, it, it literally has everything that you want in a movie. Well, that's essentially any, that's, that's, the, that's the basic formula for any biopic, really. I mean, like, yeah. and, and what I mean by biopic, I mean it's like, biopic is mostly mm. focused on a human being or a group of people. But sure. I mean, you could look. It, this is, I because it's an actual story. It's actually sure. what happened. I mean, all the finer details probably didn't like no, the love no. story, but of course not. <laughs> but uh, it's, I don't know. I I think uh, James Cameron is. I don't like him as much as you do, but I I appreciate what he's done. I mean, like Avatar, I mean, he changed the game right there, fellas. Here's the thing with Avatar. Avatar, I went and watched it in IMAX 3D. And that is the best cinema-going experience I've ever had in my life. But I do not like that movie. No, it's... it's... I watched it on uh, HBO, because it came on HBO when I was still in, in college. We had free HBO. And it just was boring. It's two hours and 48 minutes, and it, it feels every minute of it. I would argue that Avatar is his worst movie. But what he did that was so good with Avatar is that he created a camera. It's the the 3D revolution that he that he he didn't introduce it, but he is the one that popularized it. We're still feeling the effects almost a decade later of yeah. it because like Star Wars is coming out in 3D, Justice League came out in 3D. Mm -hmm. And isn't it true that uh, he had to adapt as he was filming mm -hmm. because as the technology grew with with and, uh, with filming, like yeah. he had to. It almost to a point where, like he was filming and working on stuff, but then had to go back and restart over mm -hmm. a couple of times just to adhere to the technology. Absolutely, I mean, like so because it was in pre-production, I think for, like fifteen years. Or that's something. the thing now. Then now Disney owns it, but uh, they already have. I mean, they yeah. already built a uh, a ride area in the Disney World or Disneyland, or whatever. Before they Animal bought, Kingdom, before they bought. So for me to go off this whole point of the show, um, Aliens will definitely be the first one out of my James Cameron love. Uh, it it aliens always alien always bored me and I remember it always bored brother Brandon when we were younger because when complete you, opposite now <laughs> now yeah but you know when you're at the ten age you know you know when you're at the pre adolescence age you want the big guns you want the action and what what's 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 really funny about aliens is that everybody says that about it but I watch it almost once a week I literally do guys because I love that movie so much <laughs> aliens aliens yeah wow. and like. It's, it's not all about big guns. It takes 47 minutes until a xenomorph actually arrives on screen. It takes just two minutes shorter than the alien burst out of Kane's chest in the first movie. But it's this Cameron just has so many, so much rich characters, so much rich dialogue, so much beautiful cinematography that you're just engulfed in the world. You know, that's why I love Alien so much is because I can never get bored in this world. I want to know more about Whaling Utani. I always want to watch Aliens and try to see if I find something new that I never heard before, you know? Is is Aliens, was that your entry into the Alien franchise? Dad, Dad, Dad showed Brother Brandon and I Aliens first. Okay. And then it was Alien 3. Uh, me was Resurrection. Oh, was it Alien Resurrection yeah. for you? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but Alien was the last that he showed us because it was the... 
quote-unquote boring one, which a grown man in his 30s and 40s is showing a, a two 10-year-olds alien. It, it's going to be boring for the 10-year-olds. I think Alien's one of the perfect, one of the few perfect horror films out there. Yeah. That's that's yeah. really the only one, only alien film that I actually like, because I don't really like Aliens. I mean, like, Alien is a very, very good horror film, but what, but what Cameron did is what is what they did for uh, is what Francis Ford Coppola did for um, uh, Godfather. You know uh, what? Also, Cameron went on to do with Terminator well, Two. What, 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 what did Coppola do for Godfather? That's similar to what they did. take the basic principle of the first movie, just like what Cameron did for Terminator Two as well. They take the basic principle. They give the audience the highlights of what made that first movie popular, and they expand it upon it. As an example, the chest burster in the first movie was just like a larva kind of thing. It didn't have any hands or anything. It just used its head to kind of burst out of the chest. But in Aliens, when they find that colonist on the wall, the alien has actual hands and claws. So it gives you the impression that it's digging its way out. So it, it takes something and it expands upon it. And then it also says, okay, wait a minute, this thing has a queen, just like ants or bees or whatever. It, it, so it takes something that it hinted or maybe talked about or whatever in the first movie and expanded on for the sequel, which was great because there's no other way you could tell the Alien sequel than Marines. I mean, that just makes total sense for the story that he told. Terminator 2, same way. Terminator 2 is, is pretty much a remake of Terminator 1. But he took what he did and he expanded upon it, and that's what they did for Godfather too, you know, which I which I love Godfather too. They took what they introduced, and they expanded upon it more, and it was just it's it's, it's those three are the greatest sequels. Well, that and also Empire, so four <laughs> greatest sequels of all time. But yeah, definitely for me, Aliens, Cameron was a movie that I could not get away from. I loved every second of it. Hudson was my favorite, not Hicks. <laughs> you know, Newt. I never really liked Newt. I know Kay- uh, I know uh, Kaylee and Heard was is not an actress. She hasn't acted anything since that movie. I get that. But, I mean, like, the progression of Ripley made sense. You know? I mean, she was... If you guys go back and watch Alien... She was in the background majority of the movie until the chestburster happened. And I think that's one of the I think that's one of the key points that makes that a good movie. It's like kind of with Psycho, where Marion Crane dies halfway through the movie, yeah. and it totally changes the dyna- dynamic of everything that came before yeah. it. It I think I think that's great because it it's a, it's a very empowering moment at the end when she finally survives and she's in the pod saying it's uh, the last surviving member of the Nostromo because you wouldn't expect her. You would probably expect Dallas. Dallas, yeah. Dallas or maybe Parker. Parker because the, he's he's the, big and strong. Yeah. You know. Affect Koto. Yeah, F. F. Koto, you know, or I mean like nobody would expect Brent. Nobody would expect Lambert. Mm-hmm. But it's like but it's like but like you watch you watch Aliens and you're like, oh, wow, Hudson's gonna be the survivor because he's the one that I can relate to the most. Why can I relate to Hudson? Because he's saying exactly what I would say in this situation, regardless of if I'm a Marine or not. Game over, man, fuck this shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, that's the kind of guy, so yeah, definitely for me, number one would be will be Cameron for Aliens. But uh, but uh, best for uh, brother Brandon, uh, who's your director? What, uh, do you, what do you got here? I have lots, but one that um, really really shaped <coughs> the way I not only look at movies, but the way I look at writing and how writing can be just absurd, cartoonish, wacky. Um, without a doubt, Sam Raimi. And uh, the reason why 
I like him so much. And regardless of where he's become now, the same thing could be said about Peter Jackson. Um, I love studying his his early filmography going up. I loved what he did in terms of independent filmmaking. I love the the gung ho nature of like, well, we only have so much. Let's let's do it regardless. Um, and I'm not going to be mentioning Evil Dead or Army of Darkness because I actually didn't get to those much later. Uh, the first movie I think that really blew me away was um, Dark Man. Dark Man was one of the first early films I've seen of his. God, isn't there like four of those? Three. Is there three of them? Okay. Um, and I, I can remember as I got older, I found out why he did Dark Man. He was actually one of the few directors in line to do 89 Batman. He was being looked at for it. Um, he didn't get it. And so in response, wanting to do a superhero movie, he was like... He really wanted to do The Shadow. Yeah. That was his dream. The Shadow with who I'm thinking Alec Baldwin. it? Okay, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So it, it was... Darkman was a response of that. And, you know, Darkman... Oh my god, dude. It's, it's the perfect... I, I think it's one of the perfect... Um, non-existing comic books that became a comic book movie. <laughs> um, again, like with what Raimi does, uh, he takes... One of my favorite traits of Raimi is how he can take essentially something so small but make it grand. And one of the examples of that is, I'm going to mention Evil Dead here, the tracking shot. One of the characters everyone knows is the Force thing. You know, not Star Wars the Force, but... Yeah. Like moving through the forest. Mm -hmm. That was simply two guys one end of a 2x4, the camera mounted in the middle of the 2x4, and then just running through the woods with it. Mm -hmm. Whenever I saw that, I was like, this guy's a fucking genius. He's he's eliminating hundreds of dollars that someone would have sat and been like, oh my god, how are we going to fucking do this? How are we going to track through the woods? We're going to put down tracking. We're going to actually put down tracks, and we're going to have it dolly. And it's like, no. <laughs> spend what? At the time, spend maybe 2 $3 for a 2x4. Put your camera on it, and just do it. And uh, using his friends, that's something else, too, that I, I never knew a director. I thought all directors were like this la-dee-da, you know, high-maintenance, bringing in all the A-listers. A Sam Raimi was a guy out of fucking Michigan. And uh, Bruce Campbell. Uh, Bruce Campbell. Uh, was he his friend in college? Yeah. High school. Yep. Whole high school friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, uh, Robert Tappert, their producer. Exactly. Yep, they're all childhood friends. And it was essentially uh, one of the one of the ways, one of the methods they did to raise money for Evil Dead was uh, they actually put up jars, collection jars at gas stations and grocery stores, and they were like, "Look, we're making a movie. If you want to just put in a few bucks as a tip jar." So it's like it's Sam Raimi. How much Evil Dead cost to make? Do you remember, or do you know? Three hundred twenty-five thousand, something like that. That's a lot Around of money the... for. In night for I mean for a movie, nineteen eighty-one. I mean, it is for a small independent production, but I mean. They were making, like, Corman was making movies for that much money. Really? I think that's a lot of money. I thought Evil Dead was made for $10,000. For yeah. for no-name person. For someone to just come right out of the gate with a movie like that. Um, and one of, the, one of the things I love about Sam Raimi is he, he and his brothers, Ted and Ivan, um, they grew up and loved the Three Stooges. And it's because of them that I got into the Three Stooges, too. Because if you watch all of, not every Sam Raimi movie, but if you watch most of them, you can see where, like, the little bit of, like, just absurdist humor comes in. See, I thought that was just Bruce Campbell's bad acting. 
That's not bad acting. That's charming acting. There's okay. a difference. It's called okay. charisma. It's called charisma, sir. <laughs> okay. But Darkman was the first one. It, it, I, Darkman, uh, other than Batman and the Flash, Darkman was the first movie to make me really want to go out and find weird comics that weren't under a major label, like yeah. Marvel, DC. Um, at the time, Image wasn't quite established yet. So... <sighs> Darkman is just every. Have you guys seen it? Oh yeah, yeah. I've I've seen the, seen I've times. seen the two because I know the villain comes back in the second one. I've not seen the third one. Durant. Yeah, yeah. but uh, it's just a typical, you know, yeah, kind of uh, it. But it's not. I mean, the first Darkman is fun. The I, sequel I do not like. It's got a. It's got such a rich noir feel to it. Yeah. Um, it's I. Technically, he's an anti-hero. Yes, technically, um, yeah. Because he does kill. He does kill. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Again, there's like when I first saw this movie, there's moments where where Liam Neeson's getting beat up in his laboratory, and it was the first time ever that I got to see the camera doing shit that I never knew a camera could do. Right. And it's just simple shit. So like when Liam Neeson's head's getting like shoved into glass cabinets, the camera. So I know the I know the audience can't see, but so the camera's in front of the face. And his head is getting smashed into the glass. So the camera backs with him. So it's like, you see him. The camera follows out, pans over behind the cabinet. You're seeing the next cabinet. And his head comes in again. And it's it's almost like the character itself is a character. Mm -hmm. Or the camera itself is a character. Now, was Liam Nielsen in the second one? No, he's only in the first. So that's okay. Because I don't remember the second one. I haven't seen the second one in a long time. Are they saying it's the same Darkman? Or is it a whole different... I don't remember, because I remember the bad guy came back. Um, I haven't seen 2 and 3 in a long time, so I can't okay. remember. I, But, yeah, I'm pretty... I don't know how they handle that. Okay. To be I honest. was just curious. Um, Best, uh, I'm sorry. But, no, no. I was, yeah, that's my first choice, Darkman. Best well, friend Ryan, who was your? Well, talk about Darkman a little more. Huh? Uh, let's talk about Darkman a little bit more. You have more. something about Darkman? Well, no, I mean, I was just going to say, I was going to give my two cents on it. You've seen Darkman? Yeah, I had to. Like, I, I've seen it before, but I watched it again because it was on the thing. We had to. In the oh, chat, really? We were like, hey, watch this movie because we're gonna talk about it. So I figured I would watch it so I could be, I could be up, you know, for the conversation. Oh, I'm surprised you watched Darkman. Okay. Well, I watched it before because it was on Netflix. Yeah. I don't know if it's on Netflix it's now. Not. I tried to look for it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I like Darkman. I think it's an okay movie. Um, the, I mean, there is a direct like you can. Tell it's from the guy who made uh, Evil Dead. Like there's the vi- the visuals and how the whole almost how the story plays out is very reminiscent of Evil Dead. I'm not a fan of Liam Neeson in that movie. Like I like Liam Neeson overall, but I yeah. don't think I don't think he's right for that part. No, he's he's it's, it's like it's like Liam Neeson. What are you doing in this? Don't you got a daughter to protect? He doesn't like <laughs> I don't. All the movies I've seen with Liam Neeson, I don't think he can play that nebbish sort of intellectual character that Peyton I remember his last name but what he is when he becomes full on dark man I think that's when he works when he's when he's in when it's in monster movie mode yeah, yeah it's when okay. he's uh, when he's his normal Peyton character it is a little awkward um, I forgot to mention it's an early role for Francis McDormand too yeah uh, his girlfriend mm-hmm. so Joel uh, Cohen's wife Cohen brothers yeah I know. <laughs> Joel Cohen, he's a yeah, writer and director. I know Joel Cohen. Married to Francis McDormand. She won an Oscar for a movie he <laughs> directed her in. I'm gonna go pee now. 
Okay. Continue with your comments. Well, no, that was, I mean, that was it. Uh, I, I like Dark Man. I mean, I'm not in love with it or anything, but I mean, it's a decent movie. It's it's essentially what introduced me to Sam Raimi. Um, more than anything. I, I was not aware of Army of Darkness, which is my ultimate, <laughs> as I've said numerous times. Um, I was not aware of Evil Dead, and then actually, honestly, not till about I'd say probably 10 years ago, I was unaware of a movie he did after Evil Dead called Crime Wave. Yeah, that's what it's called Crime Wave? Yeah. I keep thinking it's called Shockwave. Thought we were gonna talk. Oh, Shockwaves is the Nazi underwater zombie movie. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah. See, I think, I think an underrated Sam Raimi film that no one really talks about anymore is Drag Me to Hell. Absolutely. Because I think that's... I think that's uh, he combines... Every what he was good at before Spider-Man with what he became good at after Spider-Man, mm-hmm. and and you get Drag Me to Hell, and I, no one ever talks about that anymore. No, it is getting a Scream Factory release though. Is it? Yeah, it is. So yeah. it deserves it. Not um, a fan. You don't like it? No, Brother Brand gave it to me on Blu-ray. I watched it. And oh, like, dude, it's, yeah, it's okay. I've seen better. I, it's, I hate to say this, it's probably the the last time we're gonna see Raimi get to this point. Like, uh, that really? was the closest where we saw him get back to his horror roots. I mean, because imagine he went from Dragon Me to Hell to uh, the Oz, the Great and Powerful. Right. Well, like I told Jordan before, he's got the Spider-Man fuck you money. <laughs> no, really I love to, Oz, Great and the Powerful. Oh. Okay. Mili, no, I'm, I'm literally serious. Mili Cunius as the Wicked Witch of the West was great. I actually loved her performance in that So movie. you like one aspect of the movie, not overall. I mean, like, Jace Franco is not a good idea for The Wizard, but I mean, like, Millie Kunis sold me on that movie. She did a great job. All I right, really Ryan. liked her performance. So uh, let's move on to Ryan. Okay. I really liked <laughs> Before I really but... get angry at you. Oh, <laughs> how's that different than the other day? All right. Uh, anyway, best friend Ryan. So the director I picked was, he's not my favorite. He's not my favorite director. Because um, I, really, I don't really like him for his direction. Um, but he is, I, f- I felt like he was a, a very influential on all of us. Mm. Uh, like he had a, a great, a big impact on our generation. That's Kevin Smith. Oh, yeah. Now I know a lot of people who probably download movie podcasts because they like films so much are going to say, Kevin Smith's not a great director. And I agree. I don't think he's a good, I don't think he's a great director. He's a really good writer. Yeah. And the medium he chose is film. So this is where we are. Uh, the first, we could talk about Clerks. Uh, that's, um... His most, I mean, that's his, that's his first film. He made it for $24,000, blah, blah, blah. Everybody knows the story of Clerks. Um, but the thing is, he doesn't, he's not a visual, he's not really a visual storyteller, which if you listen to it, like, because he's got all those podcasts now, and I listen to them at work, and I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys do or not. Oh, absolutely. Um, Hollywood Babylon, um, Tell Them Steve Dave, Smodcast, Smodcast yeah. Fat Man on Batman. Yeah. Podcast is sponsored by all those shows. No, they're not. <laughs> uh, but if you want to listen to them, they're pretty good if you like Kevin Smith's type of, of humor. Um, but yeah, like he's, he is first and foremost a storyteller, not necessarily a film baker. And, um, it's just in the early 90s, the whole independent movement, it, I, f- I feel, even though um, Pulp Fiction is categorically a better film than Clerks in almost every way, I do feel that the importance of both of them is even. Like, I don't think you can talk about something like Pulp Fiction and its impact on, on film without mentioning something like Clerks. Right. You interesting. Have a rebuttal? No, I just find that interesting. Well, because if you, if you look, I mean, early 90s was the big independent movement yeah. oh, with, yeah. when you got, with, you got Soderbergh and Rodriguez and, and Tarantino, Smith, and um, I think Andrew Thomas was part of that. 
Jane Campion came out in that around that time. So it, like, and Kevin Smith wasn't the Clerks was integral in that because that's that's a that's a, a, a DIY film if we've ever seen it, and it's one of the most successful. Yeah, right. and and I guess I have to show my hand here. I don't like Clerks. You don't like Clerks at all? I think it's terrible. What do you not like about Clerks? I don't like the black and white. I don't think he was black and white because he didn't have money to make it color. I think he was black and white because he wanted to be ironic. It was, in fact, black and white because the uh, color film stock is about 75, well, about 25% more expensive. So in order to cut costs and not, you know, drive Fine, that's the fact, it. but I, I, just, I just don't like that fact because it makes no sense for it. Uh, characters are not fleshed out. Characters didn't make much sense to me. Do I understand its place in the history of the early 90s? Uh, you know, independent uh, Pulp Fiction kind of era? Yeah, absolutely I do. Well, see, I just don't the, think it's a good movie. See, the characters, in a sense though, the characters should have worked for you, because they're you and me. They're ev- they're normal, everyday people in a, in a situation that everyone everyone's worked at a shitty job. Everyone has to deal with shitty character uh, customers. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know, when it's, the movie itself is, you're a fly in the wall. And you're essentially peeking in on something you're familiar with. I guess I like Clerks 2 more. Well, I think, well Clerks Clerks 2 is a $5 million production where he takes essentially the basis of Clerks and makes it for a sort of modern studio-friendly audience. Absolutely. I mean, like, and in the basis, I mean, like, maybe, maybe, maybe I should love Clerks because it has the conversations not only that I have with you, best, best friend Ryan, but brother Brandon. I We've had this conversation about, have you ever thought about this construction workers on the Death Star? You know, I mean, like, We've had these conversations. I get it. I just don't think it's a good movie. Um, I don't think he made a good movie until fucking Dogma. I mean, really? I don't. I like don't, don't like Mallrats. I don't like Jason Amy. That's weird. Everybody uh, likes Jason. Dog, like it seems Mallrats me, is bad. It seems to me that if if someone does like Kevin Smith, that doesn't like Clerks or, or those to, his sort of raunchy films, mm-hmm. they tend to like Chasing Amy. Yeah. See, I think he's. That, I mean, that kind of fits. I mean, it's not like. The whole package, where it's horror and all this stuff together, but it's a it's a very. I mean, granted, I've never been in a relationship with a lesbian woman before, but I feel like that film's a very relatable movie to anyone that's been in a serious relationship. Sure, I I, I, I just feel that he's he's better at Dogma, Jay's Hot Bob Strike Back, his later work. Uh, you know, you got Red State. I think he's brilliant at Red State. Uh, I really enjoy Tusk. I think Tusk is really fun, uh, you know, for what it is. I just, I just, Clerks too. I mean, I just like his later works. Uh, Clerks, I respect it for what it is and when it came out, but it's not a movie that I go, oh, I have to see Clerks today. You know what I mean? It's just something that I just don't frequently watch. I maybe watch it once a year, if that. See, I, I like how you mentioned his, his writing uh, sensibility. I think that because uh, Kevin Smith has branched off and he's done comics now. He's wrote for comics now. Uh, they're fun. They're they're Kevin Smithy. They're wonderful. This is a man I admire strictly just for his outlook on life. Um, especially, <laughs> yeah, sure, you could say contributed to him starting marijuana. But I think it it's it sort of Kevin Smith. What I felt I I I always feel Kevin Smith was uh, in a cage, and the moment he started just relaxing and becoming himself. Whether you think it's because strictly because of marijuana or not, after that after that threshold, I don't know. He he became such a much more inspirational person. Um, I just like the way he handles things now. Um, there is there is a moment where he was uh, doing a Q and A for uh, yoga hosers, 
And this man, you know, asking questions, people are saying, oh, I like it, I really like it. I personally like it because I like the... He essentially said, I wanted to make my own Full Moon movie. It feels like a Full Moon movie. For anyone who doesn't know Full Moon, uh, like Puppet Master, uh, Hideous, Head of the Family, the really like Charles Band, like a small production company. So, like, and this one guy got up, he was like, I don't know, man, I, I fucking hated it. I, I just didn't like it. And Kevin Smith was like, oh, I'm sorry, man. Hey, here, $20. Here's $20. I, I feel sorry that you, you wasted your time on it. I'm sorry, man. And the guy started getting, like, mad and offended. So, like, Kevin Smith just laid the $20 down on the ground. Someone went to go pick it up. He was like, no, 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 just leave it there. It's for him. You know, it's... I don't know. His 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 approach on just life and art in general, he's very supportive. He's, he has an open mind. If anyone wants a picture or a signature, he, he welcomes them with open arms. You know, it's I, he's just a humble person to listen to. Interesting. I mean, I think he's just a... I think he's just... Are we going to go... Are we going to go around again with our second movies? Yeah. Okay. You made a very interesting point, best friend Ryan, when you said, you know, that Pulp Fiction is clearly a better film than Clerks, you know. And oh, all. yeah, I mean, you can't, I mean, on, like, paper, on every level, yeah. it's not even a competition. No. But, but the impact of each. But. That intangible Was Clerks thing. as impactful as we are thinking it is to be, or was well, his here's the thing. middle Absolutely. work better? Well, here's the thing. His, his, Clerks is a very verbose film. It is told strictly through dialogue. Like, there are some little things that are, are in the edits when he cuts to something. But other than that, it's just essentially two people in a room talking. Alright? Um, it's very plotless. Pulp Fiction does have kind of a plot, but not really. Because it, it bounces around so much. When I started school, and I was taking screenwriting classes and my, my intro to film and all this stuff, everyone around me, alright? This is 2008. Everyone around me that they wanted to write those types of films. What Pulp Fiction or Clerks? Two people, no, just two people sitting in a, in a like two people in a scene just talking. And that was fucking almost twenty years later. Mm-hmm. So, I, I I feel like its place for our generation is is high up there. Yeah. Well, it's like it's it, it goes back to that doing doing more with less, and it's like how do you really really uh, flex your your writing muscles? by having just two people in a room and how can you expand something tragic or how can you escalate on something terrifying it goes to, goes back to that whole um, Alfred Hitchcock thing where it's like show two people talking with engaging dialogue at a table you know and, and you can you can most people would be like well how do you make two people at a diner table interesting simple you show you let the camera pan down and see that there's a bomb strapped to the bottom of the table and then you just pan back up so now you've just you've added a little something different, and uh, I think what what Kevin Smith did. I don't know, man. It, it's again like with Sam Raimi or like Terry Swigoff, like what he did with Crumb, with his documentary Crumb. Like it, that, I think is another one, another emerging director. I think uh, Tarantino. Like there was just this. The reason why Ryan was saying it, it has such a cultural impact is because again. It, it allowed anyone to be like, I could do that. You know, it's it's no longer this, everything's just big budget, everything is Hollywood produced. It's you pick up a camera, get your friends or whatever you can can, and just try to come up with something compelling. And that's why I think, like, uh, Clerks, Clerks did that. Admirable, admirable. All right. 
Fair enough. Well, uh, my number two for James Cameron uh, will be Titanic. Uh, that movie, I would argue, is damn near fucking perfect. Uh, that has everything that every moviegoer, in my opinion, is looking for. It has horror elements. It has dramatic parts. It has romantic parts. It has comedic parts. Everything that you can think of going into a movie is in this one three-hour movie. And uh, I thoroughly enjoy Titanic. Uh, do I think it's great visually? There's nothing in it that's visually special. But what I think that what great, but what I think that James Cameron did great is what he could not do in Aliens or Terminator 2 or whatever. I think he told his best story ever when it comes to right now as of with Titanic. Not visually special? No. That's that the special <laughs> effects in that film are, are really good. The most of them still hold up to this day. He brought a goddamn ship to life. I understand I, he did. He actually built it. I'm not a fan of Titanic. My wife absolutely loves that film. She's like she'll watch it till uh, sun up, sundown, whatever. Um I don't think that movie is interesting until they hit the iceberg and it turns into a disaster film. See, now I disagree with you. I think it's even then, more interesting before. Because even then, because I don't feel, to me, watching it, and obviously we're different people, so our opinions are going to differ, I don't think his characters are all that good. I don't think they're very well drawn. I don't think there's a whole lot of depth to even Rose. We're supposed to be identifying with her because she's telling the story, right? And... So even when the disaster part happens, you have all these interplay, all the stuff that's going on with uh, Jack being locked up downstairs and the guy trying to shoot them after he escapes and all this stuff. I don't feel like it matters. Oh, David Warner's character? Yeah, the yeah. The, the butler dude, whatever his <laughs> fucking name is. I don't remember. Billy Zane's like bodyguard. Yeah. Where, whatever happened to Billy Zane? Fucking underrated actor. Yeah, he should be huge. Titanic happened. He should be Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, but once the disaster element starts, when the boat starts sinking, everybody's running around with their heads cut off, and he's cut into all these different characters, like, that we didn't really meet before. Some some we did, some we didn't, like the old couple hugging on the, on the, on the, the bed as the water's rising and stuff. Like, that's a heartbreaking moment, but there's nothing before it that leads up to it, and it's just after, but that's the only part, that last was an hour or so of the film. Yeah. That's the only interesting part to me. Because I mean, honestly when honestly when uh, when it was available in the uh, the dual VHS, the two VHSs, uh, I always put in the second VHS. I I would automatically just skip the first one. Yeah. <laughs> Different. I always would put in the first one. Well, yeah, cuz you like the movie, you want to start. Yeah. I, I no, see so the funny thing is that I've told the story a thousand times and I can tell it again for the show if you guys want to listen to my story in Titanic listen to Podcast Presents Trouble Part 1 you'll you'll listen to that Titanic story I'm not going to get into it for tonight's episode but I I didn't like Titanic uh, for a while it's just as it's just as time's progressing and I get old, and, and I'm getting older I'm looking at this and I'm going wow James Cameron you cannot make a bad movie I mean, like, you've given us Terminator, Aliens, Terminator 2, just retire right there. Like, oh my god. Like, this is, this is fucking brilliant. And then you make Abyss, which, you know, it's okay, you know, you know, before Terminator. But, but after Terminator, he does True Lies, but it's, it's, it, every movie he makes is goddamn box office gold. Yeah. And it's like, if you want to judge a director on their box office success, you can... 
I'm not, but it's like every movie that he makes, I don't get bored. I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not going on Facebook. I'm just like, I'm enthralled by it. And before the iceberg, I care more because it's all about social class. Especially now in 2017, going into 2018, that's more prevalent now than what it is back then. Do you like Charles Dickens novels? Yeah, sometimes. Okay. It's just all about class. It's just, I just like the fact, you know, that you got this rich girl that wants to escape but really truthfully doesn't really want to she just wants attention that's kind of my interpretation of her now of rose is that she says she wants to escape she wants to commit suicide and jump off the boat but she really doesn't she just wants attention so that doesn't that doesn't damper because you said it has like a perfect love story but you're essentially just saying that the love story is fraud i did not just say that oh. um so i mean like you know so the way I interpret the movie now, and it could change a couple years from now, but the way I interpret Titanic now is that, you know, you got Rose, who has lived her whole life being rich and, 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 and famous and popular and everything she ever wants, and now she wants, because she says a line in the movie that I feel like I'm in a crowded room and nobody's listening to me scream, you know. Uh, but now she wants to kill herself, quote-unquote, you know. She wants to just escape from this. And then she meets the complete opposite, the extreme of who she is. She meets Jack. And Jack is a smoker, lives underneath bridges, you know, has lived in the United States. She's never have been in the United States, you know. Complete opposites completely come com completely attract. And what happens is they completely understand each other towards before the iceberg hits, you know, when they come together, of course, as you know, lovers. But I just, I just really like the fact that James Cameron told a story. That was different than Terminator. That was different than Aliens. That was different than any movies ever made. Titanic is so different because he made just a traditional love story. Well, it's, uh, it's what uh, the old in the 40s and the 50s and a lot in the 60s when they were trying to compete with television, the rise of television. They made these epic three-hour-long romantic films that were set during wartime like you have From Here to Eternity. Uh, best Years of Our Lives. Casablanca. Casablanca. Eh, kind of Casablanca. Really? Um, that's not. I mean, that, that's not really an epic. It is a love story set during World War II. Right. It's not an epic. I'm talking about like these three plus hour films. <laughs> Casablanca, like six. <laughs> it's like an hour and forty two. <laughs> anyway, sometimes. <coughs> um, Excuse me. But that's like it's a throwback to that sort of film. Is what he was doing. Yeah. I know what he's doing. It's so, like, but if you like watching, so like if. If you know those films, those types of films, Titanic isn't special for its romantic plot. It's special because of the effects and that disaster film at, in the last hour. Which we know as of 2017, like, a lot of that disaster does, it's not even accurate anymore. Still cool to watch. So, yeah. like, you know, like, like, like uh, one of the things that I saw on Netflix, they had a documentary t a year or two ago about the sinking of Titanic. And they said that the reason why they couldn't see the iceberg was because it was extremely foggy that night. They have figured that out or something like that. And it was like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? So it was like just like little little things that Cameron didn't do. But like I thought the acting was great. The but costumes I'm, were great. The sets were great. To go off that though, I mean like like you had mentioned earlier with aliens, like one of the things you like about him, one of the things that does make Cameron appealing is he's he's I mean, without without a doubt, he's a technical genius. Like it's to every every movie I think of Cameron, all I think about are the effects. Absolutely, because actually, to go back to Aliens real quick, if you want to talk about this just for one second, 
he made the facehugger come to life to know what we know now. Because when we first saw the facehugger, an alien just came out of an egg and attached itself to Cain, and that was it. We didn't saw we 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 didn't see it move, just jump out. But in aliens, we got two of them. They're crawling around. They're crawling upside down. I mean, like, you know. So so, Cameron did that. But I just I just really like Titanic overall. For I say my piece on it. Titanic is not my favorite movie of all time. It's not in my top 10. It's not in my top 20. It's not in my top 50. But for realizing what it is, it's definitely one of the top 100 greatest films of all time. I mean, it is it's it is immaculate. I mean, every shot is great. I thought every piece of acting is great. The costume design was great. The set design was great. The guy actually built the fucking ship. I mean yeah. that was that was great. Those are all those are all technical things. And he got is, away with showing boobs in a PG thirteen movie. That is pretty cool. I'm not gonna lie. That and eight I did, year old, that's pretty cool. Did research on it today. I wanted to say this. This is my ace in the ace in the hole. The reason why he got away with the PG thirteen rating for the MPAA because they were not having sex. Hmm. He was drawing her for an artistic purpose, not for intercourse. Intercourse. That's what they said in the. That's what they said in the thing. But if they were having intercourse to make a child, then it still would have been PG thirteen. Hmm. But if they were having intercourse just to have it, well, I R. The zookeeper's wife um, came out earlier this year. It's got Jessica Chastain in it. Yeah. It's a, It's a, about this Austrian family that runs a zoo during the uh, German occupation, the Nazis and all this stuff, and they hide a bunch of Jews in one of their pens. Um, PG thirteen shows her tits. I was real surprised. Really? Yeah. <laughs> but I saying, they're, not, they're not having sex. It's a husband and a wife in a bed and mm-hmm. they're talking about what they're going to do with the Jews. Mm-hmm. But like, her tits are out. As long as they don't have sex, that's what I found out. It's like, you can be PG-13. You can only have, uh, what is it? You can, you can have three fucks in a PG-13 move, film, but you can't say fuck you. Like you can't yeah. make it sexual. Or fuck me. Yeah. And you can't smoke or drink. You can in PG-13, though. You well, can, that's you why can Live Free, Die Hard was PG-13, because they cut out the smoking and drinking. You can, in a, in a PG-13 film, you can smoke and drink, you just can't be underage and do it. But Bruce Willis is clearly not underage, and that's still PG-13. Yeah. No, uh, Live Free, or Die Hard? Yeah, Live Free, Die Hard. He didn't smoke <laughs> once in that film. I don't think, that, that's a new thing, though. I don't think that was around in 2007. Oh, well, different discussion for a different day. Different discussion for a different day. But, yeah, Sam so, Raby. that is my... <laughs> Two cents about Titanic. I know I'm probably on the bicep, but I mean, like, there are a lot of women out there that love Titanic. I don't, I don't, I don't love Titanic. That's the thing is that I, I, I just, I look at Titanic the way that a person, I, 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 I look at Titanic the way that a person looks at it when they are in film school. It's like, why wouldn't you want to make a movie like that? Like, you know, like, if you're in film school and you're aspiring to be a director or a producer or a writer or whatever you want to be and you're in film school, why wouldn't you make a movie like Titanic? It is it is, it is beautiful to look at. The acting is really good. I mean, like, it's, it's not subpar. The costume design is great. I mean, everything about the movie you know, is damn good. You want to know a fun fact about James good. Cameron? Fun fact about James Cameron. Since Terminator 2, every film he has made, when he made it, was the most expensive film ever made. Mm-hmm. T2 was the most expensive film in 19, by 1991. 1994, True Lies was the most expensive film ever made. <laughs> um, Titanic was the first $200 million feature, and they're saying Avatar cost $500 million, but it only had an act like it only had a printed budget of 250. But even at that time, 
That was the most expensive at that time. But if you guys want to sit back and look at it, and then we can go to Brother Brandon. James Cameron is the most successful director of all time. He's better than Spielberg. In terms of box office? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe. I don't know. That's a close one. Did you look that up? No, I didn't look it up. But, I mean, if you really think about it, though. No, it's close. I, I mean, I would, if I it mean, is, like, I would believe you. Spielberg but. has some big stinkers. Can you really say that about Cameron? Can you honestly say that about Cameron? No. I mean, his movies have all made a lot of money. But, so I mean, like, Michael Bay's. Fuck money. Just overall movie. Oh, quality? Spielberg has made some stankers. Oh, yeah, every director that has... Every... Cameron really hasn't. Well, that's... A, I mean, that's... Because he hasn't really... His filmography's not huge, either. Exactly. most others. But the movies that he makes are good. He spends years on them. Yeah. But they're good. Oh, I mean, well. he's not making BFG. <laughs> See, here's the thing. I haven't seen the BFG. I don't know. You don't like it. I don't know if you've seen the BFG. I haven't. Everything I read about the BFG was a very good movie. Like I it has like a ninety-one percent Rotten Tomatoes. All the ones I reviews I read gave it A's or A minuses. I don't even want to see Real Player One right now. That's a good book. That's a very entertaining. It's based book. on a book? Yeah. God I damn it! it. Fuck you, Spielberg. Go make make Jurassic Park. Okay. All right. Samuel Raimi. <laughs> <laughs> Brother Brandon, what's your next movie? Um, next one is uh, even though I by the time I got to this one, even though I had I. I Discovered Army of Darkness and discovered Evil Dead 1 and 2. I've talked about them enough. I wanted to talk about another movie I think is influential to me. And another really good, solid film of his that, again, doesn't get talked about much. And that's Quick and the Dead. Oh! His Western. Oh, fuck me. Yeah. Um, I was not very familiar with Westerns before this movie. Uh, I always thought um, Westerns to be just like this boring, slow, just uninteresting atmosphere of the genre. You haven't seen Young Guns then, have you, sir? Well, hold on. <laughs> it was did this. It was with this movie that uh, my stepdad rented it and uh, I was just out in the living room and I watched it and I was like, whoa, this is this even a western? It, it blew me away. So then when I went to school the next day, one of my favorite teachers, Mr. Borm, I told him about it and he was like, oh, so you're not aware of the spaghetti western? I was oh. like, I was like, what? what is that? I've, I just know westerns. He was like, spaghetti westerns. Spaghetti westerns are essentially the B-movie westerns. They're the ones that take the most creative risks. They're the ones that uh, tackle way more absurd ideas. Um, cheaper, slimier, grittier. You know, he's like, they're way more fun. And then he just gave me a list of spaghetti westerns. And he was like, have you seen Django? I was like, no, I don't. haven't heard of Django. He's like, well, focus on the first one. Don't worry about the hundred plus other Django movies right now. But he gave me Django, and he was like, you're aware of Clint Eastwood? And I was like, yeah, a little bit. He goes, have you seen, not his American film, like Hang Em High, which is okay. He was like, have you seen the Sergio Leone trilogy, Man With No Name? And I was like, no. He's like, so you haven't seen Fistful of Dollars for a few dollars more, Good and Bad and the Ugly? I was like, I've heard Good and Bad and the Ugly. He's like, seek those out and find them. Find those. Find Django. And so I, I was eventually got to those moments, and I'm like, oh my gosh. It was at that moment I kind of fell in love with Westerns. But specifically, Spaghetti Westerns. And that's what Quick and the Dead did for me. Uh, it's got Sharon Stone. Hell of a fucking cast, dude. Mm -hmm. It is a stacked cast. you got Sharon Stone, Keith David, Lance Henriksen, um, Russell Crowe, Leonardo DiCaprio, um, Gene Hackman. <laughs> it is an insane Tobin Bell before he was Saul. Yeah, Tobin Bell. Um, it's an insane cast. And, again, it's got just this... 
it's got the same Raimi sensibility where everything, the camera is just always just like, just zoom in, like always just tracking, always trying to do like my favorite scene in the movie is when they're all um, registering themselves for the game, for the um, for the for the drawing competition, and it's when each character announces himself. The camera makes each character this just exuberant piece of the movie. So like when Keith David he lights up his cigar, he's like. Put me on the board. And the camera is on the floor, zooms up to him onto the balcony, and just lets him become a profile. And then Lance Henriksen is this, like, this... He's, he's like, this uh, cocky, um, arrogant guy who, who, who's always doing card tricks, and all of a sudden you hear Lance Henriksen, and he's like, Oh, hell, put me up there, too. My name's Ace. And the camera would just... Ooh, would just zoom to him, and as he's playing with his cards, and all they're saying are their names. The camera focuses on their body so much in profile you know who they are without them ever having to tell you who they are that's one thing that's interesting about your pick for sam raimi because i would argue that kevin smith and james cameron are afraid to move the camera and raimi has a fucking field day with it and you can definitely tell that well i don't think cameron's afraid to move i don't think not like raimi doesn't well i mean his his cameron is more traditionalist in the way he shoots his films they're outside of um, what you see in the frame, not the frame itself. Like, what you see is really good, but not necessarily how he moves and how he's directing. Um, but his films are very... They're very consumer-friendly. Kevin Smith, he just... He just doesn't do it, because he's not, he's not that kind of guy. I yeah. mean, if you watch everything after Zack and Miri, it changes. Yeah. But before and leading up to, is, is more, he's more of a writer than uh, trying to be a director. Ramy, yeah, yeah. Ramy, Ramy moves, and and that's why I've always liked Ramy's because I like and I don't like Ramy. You mm-hmm. know, it's like it's I don't like good majority of his films. Okay, I just I'm just I'm just not a fan. The thing I like about Ramy, and even if I don't like, like, because I'm not a big fan of Evil Dead. I like Evil Dead too, Dead by Dawn. I'm not a huge fan of Army of Darkness, but he does. He has that Gonzo sensibility. Yeah. Of just throwing shit around. Yeah. That's that's entertaining. Or throwing Bruce song. Campbell around. Oh, it's fine, Bruce. It's okay. He has like I how I mentioned earlier how they are huge, huge fans and they are highly inspired by the Three Stooges. A lot of the pain and physical trauma of his characters still feels comedic in some way. Uh oh. Like uh, you mentioned, drag me to hell. Mm-hmm. She almost became the female Bruce Campbell in that movie. She the did shit, towards the end. Everything that yeah. just got spit up on her, everything that went into her mouth, she got thrown against the wall, and, and it's like, I, I don't know. It, everything that he does, not everything. Uh, I do like some of the experimental angles. Like he he did a baseball movie called For the Love of the Game, which is actually not bad. Oh no shit, he did that. Yeah. Oh okay. Um, and then of that. course, like when he got huge, huge profile, which was with Spider Man. Um, and even then, like Spider-Man Two, the moment where Doc Ock comes to life, that is Sam Raimi showing people in, in a in a huge movie. This is my roots. This yeah. is where I started. And that yeah. scene's amazing. Because that scene is the creepiest scene in a superhero movie I've seen in a while. I long also time. thought it was funny because I didn't realize this until I was watching Darkman. I never put two and two together, but he's got an affinity for setting the ending in like either. A crumbling building or a building that's that's being made yeah. just to be torn down. <laughs> it's like that happens in Darkman, that happens in the Quick and the Dead when they blow up the town, it happens mm-hmm. in all three Spider-Mans. Yeah. It does. 
And if it, and if anybody wants to hear more about Sam Raimi or even Spider Man, just go to YouTube and type in Sam Raimi Spider Man Four documentary. There's a great documentary that I watched <laughs> yesterday about it about Spider Man Four, the movie that was gonna be that never came to be. It was I was gonna have John Malkovich as the Valk as the uh, as Vulture. the Vulture. And it was going to have, uh, I don't know what the actress was, but they are going to have Black Cat in it. It was Anne Hathaway. But they were not going to call her Felisa... Hardy. Hardy. Is that her name, Felisa Hardy? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, it, I think Quick and the Dead has one of the, the greatest villains. I think Gene Hackman yeah. is amazing. Yeah. I, one of his greatest lines, I won't say the whole line, but the ending of it, it's it's goosebumpy. Like, yeah. the way... The, once he finds out that the town hired Keith David to try and eliminate him in a contest, he ends up, spoilers, <laughs> he ends up killing Keith David. And he's sitting there and he's like, the end of the, my fa- the whole uh, speech is great, but the end of it is when he's like, if you live to see another day, it's because I allow it. You know, and it's like, oh, he's perfect. Yeah, I know. This is twice that he's played a good villain. I mean, Lex Luthor. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Gene Hackman can do it. Well, um, early so. Leonardo DiCaprio going off Titanic, an early Leo ro- role. Yeah, around Gilbert Grape era. Um, I don't know. Sharon Stone's great. I love that some of my favorite stories are characters on a one goal mission. Mm-hmm. It's, I have nothing left to lose. This is all I'm going to do. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. A huge, great cast, fun movie. So it's, that means you love Kill Bill then, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. See, I'm not a fan of Sharon Stone. I've never been a fan of Sharon Stone. Basic instinct, bro. It's I'd... it's it's. She's one of those actresses, or I, I feel this way about a lot of actors. It all depends on the role they're given. It does. I think because I've only ever seen one movie where I didn't find her intolerable, and that's Casino. Mm. You didn't really. You didn't like her Basic Instinct. No. Ooh, that's her movie. Well, that is her movie. She shows her vagina. <laughs> but like, I don't even. I'm not a big fan of. Of basic instinct. Wow. I like, I like Paul Verhoeven. I think he's very good. Oh, very underrated yeah. character. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Black Book from 2005, 2007. No. It's a Danish film he made. Lost. Wonderful. Last Paul Verhoeven film I've ever seen was Starship Troopers. So. Oh. Not Hollow Man? Oh, I like oh yeah, Hollow the Man. Hollow Man. But anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, I've never, I, I just find, I just find her grating and irritating, and I don't know why. Like, because they, they put her in a bunch of shit, and I just, I She's the Kim Kardashian of the time. You, you, have, you, have you seen Quick and the Dead? Not before. Uh, okay. This, and even then, I, I, I didn't, I didn't find her convincing as mm-hmm. the thing. I just thought, I didn't, I, I don't know, I just don't, there's all, that's also a problem I have with some of Sam Raimi's films, where he doesn't, like, I'm not a huge fan of who he picks for the lead. Like, I wasn't a fan of Liam Neeson and Darkman, not a fan of Sharon Stone and Quick and the Dead, I'm not a huge fan of Tobey Maguire and Spider-Man, even though he does an okay job. Well, Bruce Campbell, though. Bruce Campbell, well, that's that's a different sort of thing. All right. I almost look at his choice for Sharon Stone as being like uh, a, a very underlining tone. Almost feels like um, a woman trying to break through in a man's world. You know what I mean? Like it's think about uh, why think about it in terms of like sporting events. How women can't really play with men. They got to be in their own separate field. You know, like WNBA. Um, I don't know, that's what it always felt like to me as I got older. And it was like her proving, like, especially in the Wild West and American frontier times, like, you know, women had very few things that they could do or were allowed to do. Mm. So it was almost like, I, it, she's like, the entire cast is male except her. And I mm. she's almost like a gym that stands out. I mean, that's, I mean, but that's also kind of, the, like, that's the point of the movie, though. Like, that's right. how it's set up. 
But I mean, I think like, like they they would have had all that even if they didn't have Sharon Stone. If they would have had like Sigourney Weaver or somebody in there like that. Don't tease me. I mean, Sigourney Weaver wouldn't have been a good pick either. That's just a suggestion because anything she did is good, sir. She was popular around that time. (laughs) She's popular now. Like, if they would have put, I think if they would have, maybe if they would have put Kim Basinger in there, like they could have, they could have dirtied the Batman success. They could have dirtied her up a little bit. No, coming off the boxing Helena disaster where she had to file for bankruptcy. Um, But anyways, digress. (laughs) But I, I, the movies, the movie, like everything but her, I really liked. Yeah. I just found her very grating. Like my the, my favorite part is every time Russell Crowe is interacting with Gene Hackman. The, that was those mm. that, those are my favorite moments in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Quentin the Dead. Oh, two other people I forgot to mention in this cat. Here, here's going to make the cast even bigger. Sharon Stone's father in the flashback is Gary Sinise. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the bartender is fucking Pat Hingle. Speaking of Batman. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, uh, it introduced me to the spaghetti western, which is now spaghetti westerns in the top three favorite genres of all time for me. Are, are, uh, don't they call them spaghetti, uh, spaghetti westerns because of something with a French influence? No, it, Italy. Italy influence. Italia. Italia. Yeah. Because yeah. it was cheaper to make them over there than in Hollywood. Gotcha. All right, best friend Ryan, what is your last pick? Okay, so we're going to talk about, we're not, I mean, we are going to talk about this movie. We're kind of. I was going to kind of branch off to his, his later work, his more current work. Um, Zack and Mary make a porno. Mm. and uh, It's called Zack and Mary make a porno, not Zack and Mary. Zack and Mary make a porno. <laughs> um, this is a film that I have no idea why it failed. Like, it is, I feel it's just as good as any Judd Apatow film. You mean failed meaning box office? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, and this, and this, the failure of this film is what, lead, what led to where he's at now. Um... This film, if you watch it, is is formulaic. It's not like a wildly original film, but it is it is in the mold, and it feels like a Judd Apatow film, even even with the inclusion of Seth Rogen. Even if you if you didn't have it, it would feel in that same mold. But whereas something like Knocked Up, or even Trainwreck, or Superbad made over 120, 130 million dollars, this film only made 23 million dollars in the American box office, and it, it because of the title. Well. Well, that they they some uh, it almost got NC seventeen. It got dropped down to R, and uh, some of the promotional materials, controversy stuff like that. I think it had one of the best posters of all time, where it's just the stick figures and the camera. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the best posters. Um, but even if it, even they were still running it, Zach and Miri, they yeah. a lot of places dropped off the make a porno aspect of it. But I, I mean, outside of the raunchy quotes, raunchy humor. It's a very well-told love story, mm-hmm. I think, for the modern age. And why it failed, and when you compare it to the films I just compared it to, I don't understand other than it's Kevin Smith has a brand, and that's what the brand is. No, to me, I think it's all about sex. And that's what it came down to? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that <coughs> my opinion is um, majority of Americans pretend that we don't have sex. It is forbidden to talk about. You do not talk about it. Cover the nipples. You know, sex is evil. Porn is bad. You know, um, parents get pissed off at schools for having sexual education programs at school because they're too much of pussies to talk about what sex is to their children. That's what I think killed this movie. And the reason why I say it so kind of passionately is because um, I agree with you. I think the movie's really fucking great. 
But there's, well, let me ask you this, though. There's a lot of sexual stuff in something like uh, There's Something About Mary, and that was the highest, that was one of the highest grossing R-rated films of all time. Wedding Crashers is a film about guys who crash weddings to fuck girls, and that yeah. became the highest grossing R-rated Because of the people that are in it. At the time, Seth Rogen was not really... Yes, Seth. he was. Yeah. This was this was, a, this was a year after Knocked Up, where he This had, was a year after Knocked Up, but this wasn't Neighbors. This neighbors is, that's way different. Like, this I know, is, but... This is when he was on the ascent. But this it's is like his family-friendly time now. Back then, he wasn't family-friendly. Back then, he was just a stoner dude. Neighbors isn't family-friendly. That's an R. That's an that's a that's an R-rated film. It's sir. an R-rated film. I understand it's an R-rated film, but he is okay. Family-friendly is a bad word. He is a household name. He is a household. I, I was going to compare it to. I was going to compare it to Will Ferrell. Two thousand uh, Anchorman comes out, makes eighty-three million dollars. Now, I mean, box office doesn't matter, but I mean, this in terms of reach and how people view these people yes this numbers these numbers i feel do matter okay anchorman and then he comes out with talladega nights in 2006 and that makes 140 million dollars and then Step Brothers is an r-rated comedy that makes over 100 million dollars because it's, it's will ferrell yeah not because of what's around it but just because it's will ferrell yeah seth rogan was in was a prominent part of 40 old virgin wasn't a star but he was a prominent part very prominent sporting player in that film made over 120 million dollars i agree um and then knocked up comes out Makes $150 million. Because mm-hmm. he got Heigl. No. He's the star of that film. That You want to say that she's the co- like their co-leads, and they are to a certain extent, but he dominates that film more so than her. He may dominate the film, but what got busted in the seats was Catherine Heigl because that was still Grey's Anatomy time for her. It's because it's a well-told love story. I don't agree with you. It's a, it's a well-told love story. <laughs> you have you have stuff for the uh, the women, and then you got the, the stoner humor, something for the guys. No, I okay, fine. I'll make it clear. I agree with you that it's a well-told love story. I do not agree with you that that's why butts were in the seats. But you, but and then Superbad, even later that year, which he wrote, produced, and stars uh, has a co-starring role in, that also made over a hundred because he started to get cred at the time. Exactly. So how? So that's my point. You're agreeing with me. So because he's in Zach and Mary, that should have raised the profile. He was starting to get crystal because I mean nobody remembers him as the stoner friend in one of my favorite shows only lasted for one season but uh, undeclared, you know he was in that as well that's, going in to go in. I mean that, I mean that's sort of different. That's a TV show because he was in Freaks and Geeks, which is very highly regarded. That was in '99, 2000, yeah. and um, undeclared was in 2002. So I mean that's kind of that's different. I guess I was showing my knowledge. I mm-hmm. guess I was I was I was pulling out my big rhinoceros penis. You were trying to compete with all all these facts I was pulling out. And just saying like, hey, I know Undeclared. Fuck you, Ryan. Undeclared but, is a uh, pretty funny show. It's it a is. Set up I, joint. I mean, he he's gone on record to say too that Kevin Smith has that he fell into a weird depression when he found out this movie. Who did? Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith did. Uh, because he pretty much was going through his head. Him and Scott Mosier, his uh, best friend and producer for a lot of things. Uh. Him and Scott Mosier, they were very like, well, I mean, not only did they write and tell and, and make a good movie, but they were almost what Ryan was saying. Like, we've got Seth Rogen. We've got, like, they were, he was fully prepared to wake up the morning of Saturday or, or Sunday to see the weekend totals. And he was fully prepared to see an amazing weekend. Yeah. Like, I think he was playing, like, 25 million yeah, or something. Yeah, and even people, like, they had statistics telling him, oh, because of every, because of the movie itself, the, the, the material of it, and it's Seth Rogen. You're expected. That he was told left and right from everyone. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna turn out well. And what reason why he went into a depression is because at that moment he was thinking, "Is it me? Is it because it's Kevin Smith? Is I, it because it's a Kevin Smith directed film?" I still think it's just about sex. Well, well, but all, I mean, 
that I mean that's not I mean that is kind of important, but I mean we're past, I think I feel like we're past that convers that part of the conversation because we're going to move on to what happens after. Because just as as uh, Brandon had mentioned earlier, that's when he was like, "Fuck it." Uh, instead of making the movies where he could be a name like Judd Apatow, where he instead of playing in the studio system, because that's that is essentially what Zack and Mary was. Zack and Mary make a porno. It was and then Cop Out didn't help either. Yeah, it was, was him. Cop Out afterwards. Mm-hmm, it was the very next one. It was him trying to to make the studio picture, and it feels. I mean, if you take out all the fucks and the, the dick you see and all the stuff. <laughs> it is a studio picture. It plays like exactly like Joe Apatow, which are studio pictures, whether you want to admit it or not. Those are commercial f- studio pictures. And then it, it failed on him. So then he tries to make uh, a couple of dicks, which became Cop Out. That was a failure, too. That, I mean, that's different reasons. He didn't write that. That was a script. Um, he just made it because he, he, he thought it would be a movie his dad would want to see. They would make it that way. But then when that failed, he was just like, all right. I'll go make the stuff I want to do. And they made Red State. Which, I'm not a huge fan of Red State, but in terms of actually filmmaking for Kevin Smith as a director, it is a fucking huge leap forward from it is everything a, It is a complete 180. Yeah. Like, it shows the... Like, if you watch everything up until that... It, it cop out. Everything up until those movies, he's a competent director. Like, he knows how to make a movie. But when you watch Red State, when he was just like, fuck it, let's go do this, it's like... Is completely different, right? And then when you like uh, when you get to something like Yoga Hosers, the reason why he's not affected anymore by what people say is, and there's a really there's a really charming video with him and his daughter Harley, and he's like, I made the movie because you're in it. Like I wanted to make a movie for you, and I wanted to direct you, and and he was like, seeing he got to a point where he was directing Harley, and she was having fun. He was like, oh, this is what making art's all about. Fuck studios. Fuck trying to be the next big thing. Just do you. Just try to make your stuff. And yoga hosers. I mean, Red State and Tusk really was the foundation for his. You know, I'm just going to do what I want. Yoga hosers actually put him to a point where he's like, all right, people like it. They don't like it. Whatever. I'm going to make the next one. Which is fine. Which I totally get it. And you know, I, I myself am not a fan of yoga hosers. I think it's one of his worst films he's ever made. I don't like yoga hosers either. Uh, I'm not, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of everything he's put out no. since Zack and Mary. Like Red State, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I, I mean, I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not. I don't like Tusk because I don't think like Tusk is is very strange, and it's f- it's fun in certain aspects, but I don't think he balances the horror and the comedy well. I feel like he like and that I've. For that sort of, because like there's some like the scene where he, f- um, where he had they're in the they're in uh what's the guy what's the old dude's name Michael, oh um, Michael Parks Michael Parks Michael Parks and Justin Long are sitting at the table, and it's like I don't know like a ten minute scene where he's just going on this monologue. Mm-hmm. That scene's fucking wonderful, and the whole explanation when he first gets to the old man's house and all that stuff, but I like the <laughs> podcast stuff and then. Gila Puen, I'm not a huge fan of. But it's, the re- I think why I love Tusk so much is that the fact that the both of them, <laughs> it was created off of Smodcast. They yeah. were both so high. They were like, I love the fact that it started off as just a Smodcast episode. And it just built from that. And it got to a point where Scott and Kev were just like, shit, let's, what if we made this into a movie? And then they start giggling and they start just building onto it. And even and hell, even the end credits, you listen to the Smodcast episode that it's based off of. And it's um I don't know it's I I love um post red state or pre red state 
I fucking adore post Red State. I just I, I I love this new direction. I like majority of everything. I mean, like I said, I've had some issues with Kevin Smith, but I am not a fan of yoga hosers. I'm not a fan of Chasing Amy, and I'm not a fan of Clarks. What do you not like about Chasing Amy? Because that's that's the one that I'm not saying you're wrong or anything. That's just the one that usually if people don't like Kevin Smith films, they will like Chasing Amy. It's also the only one right now that's got a Criterion release yeah. too. Just. It's also, uh, well, no, Clerks won. It's not the movies that he makes. You know how people would say that Jackie Brown would be Tarantino's worst? See, that's actually one of my favorite Tarantino's. I think... It's one of my favorites, too. I think The Hateful Eight's his worst film. Absolutely. Oh, really? See, now I disagree. <laughs> I really like that. That's, that's where he put his head firmly up his own asshole. The Hateful Eight? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Like, um, Django is a good movie. I love and, Django. Up until Christoph Waltz dies, then everything else is just... Just feels perfunctory, like, oh, we gotta do this because it's how the story ends. Okay. And, and then Hateful Eight, <laughs> I, I do not like the Hateful Eight. We may We're have not to do talking a Tarantino. about it, but why are you not liking Hateful Eight? I don't go ahead and get it out of your system. Well, I'm not gonna go on, like, a huge rant. It's just the thing, I don't understand. Okay, so, he writes good dialogue. That is one of his trademarks, okay? And that's all that film is. It's just a bunch of people, in, hey, look, we talked about earlier. Just, you know, a bunch of people in a room, okay? Yeah. It's three hours long doesn't need to be. No. And I don't understand why it's such a... Because I went and I watched it on 70mm in Livonia, Michigan. Oh my god, that was a chore. You deserve a trophy. I, I sat through the whole intermission and all this stuff, and I don't understand why you need to make that movie in 70mm. If it was an actual western, which it's not, it's not a western. It is not a western. It has western iconography in it, but it is not a western. It is a period piece. There's a big difference. Why do you need 70 millimeter film to shoot that movie? Because you want to? Exactly. There's no there is no point other than he wanted to do it. And that's and for the reverence he has as one of the great directors, that is not a decision you make. I yeah. Well, I, the only awesome thing to come out of Hateful Eight is the score by Ennio Morricone. Who like, did the thing? When, when they are tra- when it's the shots when they're outside of the whatever that room is that little stop in whatever, and when they're not inside the carriage, when it's the wilderness and the mountains and the horses and stuff, yes, I can understand why you want the seventy millimeter film. But everything else, which is you know, two hours and fifty minutes out of a two hour and fifty five minute film, you don't need it. Is that the only bitching about it? Is the seventy millimeter? I mean, like, is there anything else? Well, no, that's the. I mean, that's the big one. Another, like, I, I, like I said, like, he he writes good dialogue, but this is too much. Like, this is where he was like, "Fuck yeah, this is a good line." Fuck, I'm great. This is a good line. I have him say, "Oh, that's fucking fantastic," and he uses the N word a lot. He always does. Exactly. I have an issue with that. Why? It's why. Why do you need why? I can understand. That it's the time and stuff, but a lot of it he it used it's used so much in that film. I feel like he made the film just so he could put you that in. You saw there. Django, right? Well, but that's a time that's, that's warranted. That is about slavery, and the hero is a black man. He so him said it, him himself said it in Pulp Fiction, exactly. dead nigger storage. Exactly, and that's an issue. Just because he's married, his character is married to a black woman doesn't mean he can throw that word around. But that's, I mean, we're digressing from our main topic. No, that's, that's not digressing. That, that's very fascinating because I never thought of that before. Because it's like, I think Hateful Eight is not terrible. I think 
We'll, we'll do a Tarantino yeah. episode. Like I, I like, I like Tarantino. I, I think he's a very good director. I just have some issues with what he does. I think he's a very good director for the first half of well, the see, Glorious I, Bastards. The second half is terrible. Okay. That's anyway. Um, yeah. Well, you have anything to say about Tusk or Yoga? Oh, yeah, you said about Yoga. I don't like Yoga Horses. Oh, Tusk Chasing Amy. That's what we Amy, were on. Chase. Chasing Amy. We were chasing. We went to Tarantino. Oh, I just, I just, I just don't like chase, I just don't like Chasing Amy because I just don't like Ben Affleck. Really? Yeah, I'm just not a Ben Affleck guy. That's know. probably why I don't can't I, I can't get into Justice League Batman versus Superman. I just I just dude, you are you are a one trick pony and you're popular because I don't know why. I have mean, you seen the town? Yeah, I have seen the town and okay, fine. I will eat crow on that one. The town is great. I think But he, but he has two diamonds in the rough right there. He's he's one of those guys that Brandon mentioned earlier when we were talking about Sharon Stone, like they need a certain director. They need somebody that can pull that out of them. And the fun fact is when he's directing himself, he can actually give a very good performance. He can, because didn't he do another one about the 70... Uh, yeah, Argo. Argo. That's what it was. Yeah, and that's a that's one of my favorite films, too. That's, 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 that, that's a great movie. The Town is actually really good, too. I just I just don't like him in a good handful of everything. You know a fun fact about Ben Affleck? Up until um, we, uh, we Own the Night? Is that what it is? Not We Own the Night. Whatever his last one was, um, that wasn't very good. He had directed... Every one of his films had someone had one supporting actor be nominated at the Oscars. I think that's very fascinating. Is it really? Yeah, Gone Baby Gone had Amy Ryan. Uh, the Town had Jeremy Renner, and then Argo had the old dude from. I know his name. I just can't remember it off the top of my head. The old dude, the grandpa from Little Miss Sunshine. Yes, oh. the guy from Spider Man, the guy who played Jonah Jameson. No. It's the same guy. The grandfather. No, it's not. You're right. It's He's not, not even in. Yeah, no. J, yeah, no. Yeah, you're right. J.K. Simmons isn't in. J.K. Simmons is what I was thinking of. <laughs> Faster! Sorry, I was thinking of. Yeah, I can picture his face, but I can't think of his yeah. name right now. He's in a lot of stuff. Anyways. Well, I think we have gone on long enough, fans. We uh, we have talked about our favorite directors growing up when we were kids. This has been a great episode. I I I think this has been a fun little debate that we've got going on. I I think it could definitely be a part two since we have a second backup director. Uh huh. We should be able to do this as a part two. Definitely, we can do a part two because I'll be looking forward to that one. So we're all moving left to right because we're cold. We've gone on for an hour and a half, but we wanted to say thank you so much for downloading this episode. If you like this episode, check out many others on our iTunes page. Search Movie Guys Podcast. Go to movieguyspodcast.com or also movieguyspodcast.podbean.com, and you'll find this episode and many others all about things that were awesome in the '90s and early 2000s. But uh, for Brother Brandon and uh, Best Friend Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, you're welcome. We'll be back next week for another awesome episode of, well, podcast. I was going to say another one, but anyway, (laughs) I'm used to saying that one. Anyway, thank you guys. Have a good night. Bye, everybody.